that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Walking Alive. I'm here with my buddy, Doug Vincent. Hey, Doug, what's up, man? How you doing this morning? I am good. I am good. Good to see you. And we got to go over our last week. We had a busy week, yeah? Oh, let me tell you. First, there was the Hurricane Hillary that was going on for a couple of days. And if our week wasn't enough, we were went to we attended the uh, Ontario's at, at Disability Expo in Ontario. Mm-hmm. We got to a special uh, recording on behalf of uh, State Council of Elementary Disabilities with one of the uh, self-advocates that I work with. A good fella. He's very good with social media. He handles the social media page. He goes by the name of uh, Jeremy. And, then, and, that, and that recorder that you had, I thought it was pretty cool. I used to have something a little similar to that, but it was a uh, cassette tape back in the 90s. And when I saw the device, I was like, gee. I didn't think they made stuff like this anymore. High tech, I know, right? Yeah, I I think it worked out good. Real quick, too, the IEDC uh, Expo that we went to um, was uh, put on by IEHP. I just wanted to give them their props. They did a great job. They hadn't done that since uh, COVID, so it was nice to get back together and kind of, it was like uh, old home week, right? We were catching up with all of our friends. It was nice. They make its new friends. And speaking of IEHP, I got to meet my. uh, Hero from the uh, super uh, uh, nautical uh, comic books that that um, talks about you know uh, fighting a child obesity and how to eat healthy foods and whatnot. I've read these really cool looking comic books ever since I was a kid. And, you know, it's not every day you get to meet your hero, and even as a kid, you know, I've always loved comics. Mm-hmm. And I know why you like this particular superhero. That was a tight outfit she had on, and. I don't think I've ever seen you smile that big, sir. Hey, <laughs> hey! if it's hey. a superhero or, or somebody in a costume, whether it's a supervillain or a hero or any of the case, man, I got to have my picture taken. That's right. That's a friend of yours. Well, you know, the, you, you you didn't mention the biggest event from last week. Uh, your, bu- your partner's birthday. It was my birthday last week. Oh, <laughs> man. Where the heck are my matters? I'm going to apologize for that one. If I would have known in advance it was going to be your birthday or whatnot, man, I would have been I would have joined you on your birthday, no questions asked. But before we go any further, let's give my buddy a, a shout out and a happy birthday. Uh, happy very birthday, nice, man. thank you. I, I'm usually I don't really mention it too much until afterwards, so I, I usually don't say anything before. And I like to do low key. So I, I had birthday uh, dinner with some friends with my daughter, and uh, so it was very nice. I had a had a good time. I'm. I'm old, if anybody wonders <laughs> yeah, how old I am. Also, I, I had uh, I had new windows put in my house last week. Been wanting to do that for a while, and uh, the other ones are you know you know your windows get get to the point where you can't even hardly open them anymore. They're not sliding real well, so got that all taken care of. So that was nice. Had a I had a flat tire. You know, I've never. What? It's been years since I had a flat tire. I and I felt kind of stupid afterwards because I'm going down the freeway. And I hear what sounds like to me like a car without a muffler. And I hear all this noise. I'm like, where's that coming from? And I'm looking around trying to figure out which car is making all the noise. And 
So I'm cruising along and I think I identify, I think it's this truck that's a couple of lanes over. And then after a while, I start feeling this kind of vibration. And then I start to smell rubber and I'm like, that's me. So I had to get over to the side, but thank goodness uh, AAA got there very quick and got me on my way again real quick. So, so that was uh, uneventful, but you know, you know how it is. You get a flat on the freeway going 60, 70 miles an hour. It's a little hair raising. I don't know that much about cars, really. I just know the basics, like uh, how to check the oil, how to check the water, how to check the air for tires. I can uh, recognize the smell of a smog. I know when there's a rubber burning, you know, things like that. Yep, yep. Or, it, you're way ahead of the game there. There are a lot of people that don't do anything about checking their oil or water or any of those things, so good job. I even uh, uh, can recognize the sound when the unit starts knocking. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. All right, let's – um. I think we've got one of our guests in the uh, in the waiting room. So I'm going to wrap up real quick by saying, you know, we've got an interview today with Frank Cannon. Uh, but first, we're going to interview, like you were talking about, with Jeremy from SEDD or the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. We'll do that first. And then we have Suzette Aguiar-Posnack from Aguiar Professional Training. You know, they, are, uh, they sponsor our studio, right, that you hear every week. And so I'm, I'm just going to have her on quickly to kind of give us a better idea of what they do. And then we'll uh, have a nice conversation with Frank Cannon. And that is all just ahead on Walk and Roll Live. I'm getting goosebumps already, Doug. Awesome. Aguiar Professional Training offers comprehensive organizational development and organizational effectiveness services for corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions, and individuals. What they do is improve work environments in key areas, such as performance management gaps, group interactions, morale and trust building, and team dynamics, to name just a few. Using a strength-based approach in conjunction with individual or group coaching, all of the strategies have produced significant results. APT also assists with managing change, improving work processes, training, and management of human capital. Learn more at agarprofessionaltraining.com. A-G-U-I-A-R professionaltraining.com. Greetings, true believers. My name is Eric Giggler. Welcome to Walk Alive. I'm here with my pal Doug Benson at the uh, 2023 Illinois Empire Disability Expo at the Ontario Center Convention. We have a special guest today. His name is Jeremy. Today we'll be recovering um, a little bit of his backstory about how he found um, State Council Developmental Disabilities, what are his goals and objectives, why he volunteers, what his long-term goals are, what are the challenges that he faces working towards his goals, and how has State Council Disabilities have helped him overcome obstacles. Now, also, let him know uh, whose booth we're in here at the Expo. We're at the State Council Developmental Disabilities booth. Very nice. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that uh, we gave them props. They are so nice. Uh, they've got a big booth, and they've actually given us a portion here. They've, they've uh, produced some flyers for us. So I imagine you were behind that, Jeremy. Yes, I was. Yeah. Thank you very much. We appreciate that very much. People have been coming by. They even did a QR code for us so people are able to scan that. So hopefully we'll be getting a, a bunch of new listeners from this. So what's uh, our first question for Jeremy? Tell us a little bit about you, Jeremy. Um, I have a 
mental disability would sometimes with me I process things a lot differently than most people I get involved with other organizations to help people with mental disabilities or all types of disabilities uh, I my favorite thing and one of my most favorite things is I love NASCAR it's one of my favorite hobbies of all time brother we're brothers <laughs> all right let's burn some river huh <laughs> that's right yes and I like video games um, hanging out with other friends family when I can that's a little bit about me very nice and you, you take care of all the social media for SCDD yes I do I take care of their Facebook page their Instagram their TikTok page and all of that so they're keeping you busy yes Tell us a little bit about how you started your journey with State Council Developmental Disabilities. How I started that out was a friend of mine who was moving to another state. He had mentioned about me being on the State Council, and I talked to Esteban, who worked for the Inland Regional Center, and also Patricia, who works there. And they recommended me I start on the lower end of the, I work my way up instead of starting from the very top and being just thrown in. It's, and it was a lot better to do it that way than it would be to start from the top. So what I recommend to people who are going into this is start from kind of like the bottom and work your way up. So make a big-term goal and then have the short terms inside the big goal. Very wise, yeah. And then you learn a lot of different things about the organization and you're much more well-rounded in your knowledge, right? Yes. That's very, very right. So it sounds like you set some goals and already achieved those. You got any new goals? Uh, My new goals is basically to help out other people who need the help and one day what I want to do with this is have a place to where people can come in and just find a group and organizations that would that can help them basically like have fun and games or if they're looking to just maybe have uh, uh, someone to talk to like kind of like therapy but without paying for it totally like free Um, if they can't really afford therapy it's just someone to talk to and they just have a friend and that's what I'm really going trying to go towards is mainly looking through all that like to help people who need the help awesome Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you've experienced working towards um, your goals. The challenge that I faced was basically um, trying to get it started and get it going and putting it out there. Because sometimes with me, 
and my disability, I tend to, if I'm in the middle of doing something, and then I think of something else at that moment, I would sometimes veer off into doing something totally different than what I should be working on. It sounds like you're describing me here. <laughs> <laughs> and, but with that, my challenges have been like to try to be more focused on the task and try to work more towards that than and worry about the other things later because I look at it and going, that can come later. It's not that important, but to me, if I if I want to do that at that moment, I feel like it's more important than what I really should be doing. I can understand how you feel, Jeremy, because I can be a bit of a procrastinator at times. And just when I'm uh, looking for something, I always find something more than what I was originally looking for. Tell us a little bit about how State Council Development Disabilities has helped you overcome these obstacles. Well, they've helped in a way of basically telling me that there's self there's a self-advocate program that they wanted to start. And I looked into it. And there is also other programs that I've been involved with that also coordinate with with them at times. Um, we've had, uh, which is another organization that I volunteer with, that on the side with what's called it's called Service Center for Independent Life, which is in Claremont, California. They also do kind of similar kind of ideas. They help people with disabilities, and with working with SCDD, um, I've been able to get them more people involved, more out there. It's, it's more combining my two interests, uh, mainly volunteering with two organizations, and trying to figure out okay. What does this organization do? And then what does this organization do? And then try to find in the middle combination. Okay, they're, they're doing this. Let me go help this organization saying, okay, they've got this event going on. Can you guys come and try to help? So with, with that, it's basically, in a sense, my overcoming of it is the obstacles is helping you guys with what you guys want. What my obstacle is, is what am I going to do for you? And what can you do for me in the same... So basically, like, playing a game, like a game of, of freeze tag, you know, in a sense. Like, you tag one person, and then the other, the other teammate tries to unfazer, so it's basically you help one person, you, they help you back. Very good. Well, in the little time that we have left, uh, tell tell me uh, and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of SCDD and get more information about them. They can look at all of our information on like our Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Um, we even have, you can even go to our main page which has all of our all of our social medias which is again Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and you can follow us there and you can even message us 
on those platforms and we'll gladly try to I'll try to answer your questions as best as I can. If I can't answer your question, I'll pass it on to like Esteban or Patricia who works for the Inland Regional Center and they can give me that information, blow it back to me, and then I'll forward it back to you again. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, let's do this. Um, because they can they can back this up and get that link. Yeah. But let's also remind them that if they just do a search for State Council on Developmental Disabilities, you'll find you and everything will come up. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and uh, being a, a part of Walk and Roll Live. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for listening, folks, to this special edition of Walk and Roll Live. I'm Eric Aguilar. We will see you later, true believers. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, and I wanted to also uh, remind everybody that we'll get Jeremy's last name and we'll put that up on the description of the episode uh, because uh, we, we didn't get Jeremy's last name and we can't remember right now, but we're going to find out and we'll put it in the uh, in the description of the episode. Next, we're turning to a name you hear all the time here on Walk and Roll Live when we talk about the Aguiar Professional Training Studio and our sponsor. And we're going to have Suzette Aguiar Posnack on with us to she's the owner of the company, the CEO, everything. And, and we want to find out exactly what does that mean? Professional training. Hi, Suzette. Hello, Doug. Hi, Eric. How you doing? Great. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? We're good. Good, good. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, what, what you do. I mean, you know, I think before we came on, I was saying, you know, just want to find out like, how would you pitch a, a client that you were trying to bring on? What would you tell them that you guys do? The quick answer is we help work life work better. And we do that by helping bosses become better bosses and employees become happier, more fulfilled and more productive by using what they already have. So we really focus on strengths and energizers and helping people use those in a more strategic way to get the result they want that can be sustaining. So whenever we make a change that's not natural to us, sure, we can tough it out for about two weeks, but then we're going to want to go back to our natural ways. So at Aguirre Professional Training, we help people take their natural strengths and interests and use them in a way that's more intentional and that has been deliberately used to leverage those strengths to get the result that they want. And we help bosses to also improve communication, build trust, uh, have a more cohesive team dynamic as both leaders and also within the team. So we do workshops, we do training sessions, we also do strategic planning, essentially anything that can make the work environment be healthier and more successful. So uh, this may say more about my experience than it is that it says about the workplace at large, but it, it seems like any place I've ever worked, it, I don't feel like they would be open to something like this. You know, they were more in, they had the leadership style, you know, this is what, you know, demanding, we want you to do this not even considering this, this might not be a strength of yours and maybe identifying who would have a strength of that particular, um, you know, task that they wanted performed and, and pair that task with that person who's good at that task instead of forcing me to 
become proficient at a task that I don't really have that propensity for, you know? So how do you, how do you talk about it? So how do you find the clients? Well, I don't know how I want to ask this, you know, do they find you? How do you find the clients that are even open to this idea? We have been really grateful to have repeat business from existing clients. And those existing clients have come to us through referrals Mm -hmm. or they had a problem and somehow they found out about us either through our website or Instagram, a friend of a friend. And they realized that we would be able to help them solve that problem. And a lot of times when we do work with folks who have more of that traditional view, yeah. it, it really motivates them to adopt this, you know, aligning people's strengths with their jobs because it seems like such a no brainer. If I have an employee who's excellent at doing presentations, why wouldn't I make it possible for that employee to focus the majority of his or her time designing and presenting presentations? Yeah. It would be bad business on my end. So when we talk about the productivity increasing by you know, 30%, the turnover rate decreasing, because you don't want your talented people to be leaving your organization, that also costs a lot of money and it damages your reputation. Yeah. So if I can increase productivity, make sure that my superstar employees want to stay and get a good reputation for turning out high quality results in less time without spending any extra money on updated equipment, new software, increasing my staff. Why wouldn't I want to do that? Well, and so there's plenty of the people right out there that, that don't see that, you know, again, I, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and it, like you were saying before, um, it, it, they, if they identify the problem, well, I think that's where it gets difficult because if they were true to themselves and they were identifying the problem, they would see that they're the problem. And I'm not saying in every situation, but in those cases where the employer is the problem, you know, they may bring you in to fix the, in their mind, perceived problem that it's their work staff. And then you come in, <laughs> I imagine you start with an assessment and then you have the uncomfortable position of saying, well, we've done a extensive ex assessment and we find out you can't just say you're the problem. I'm sure <laughs> knowing you the way I do, you say that in a very, uh, you know, in di diplomatic way. <laughs> Although now I'm tempted to just play the Taylor Swift song. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Hi, it's me. No, it's you. You're the problem. What I end up doing is talking about the root of the problem. And yeah. when when it's I'm either brought in by the CEO or by the HR department, and it's they they use this term that's this blanket term that can mean a million different things, and it's yeah. usually team dynamics. We want to improve team dynamics or we want to have a healthy work environment. So as I start asking the questions and peeling back the different layers, a lot of times it ends up being one of two things. There is a lack of trust in the organization because it's either been broken or never established. Mm -hmm. And there is a problem with communication. People think they're communicating well, but what they say is not what's being received. And so getting everybody on the same page, uh, a lot of times we create a team charter or a common lexicon so people will know how to address difficult situations in a way that will be focused on solutions 
and less frightening to enter into these kinds of conversations. And a lot of times we'll start with group workshops and then the CEO or whoever it is that really needs more of that individual coaching will have an epiphany of, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I do need to learn a little bit more about this. And it's not a punishment to have an executive coach. I often talk about, you know, the, the Olympian Michael Phelps. He has, what is it, like more than 20 gold medals. So he has a coach. And you can say that about every athlete, especially elite athletes on the planet. Tom Brady is about as successful as you can get in football. He has a coach. Yeah, That's right. That's right. So when people think that coaches are only when you've gotten in trouble or only because you don't already know how to do things, I think, well, Michael Phelps already knew how to swim really well. Really well. He still had a coach. Uh, so I don't want people to think of executive coaching as a punishment after people have already made perfect, a mistake. Perfect, perfect, yeah. Although certainly that is some of my clientele is because they have a talented, good employee that they want to keep who just needs a little help in either the communication skills, the emotional intelligence, the empathetic leadership whatever it is that will help that person become a better leader, we do that. I also have been the perk. So when someone was recently promoted, so I I come in and help them ease into a higher level of responsibility and seeing that can be very difficult, right? That could be very difficult. I have experienced it myself and I've seen it play out in the workforce. When you go from being a colleague on the same level as everybody and then a promotion comes up you get the position or somebody gets the position and then perception perception or reality you know that's open for debate but you know people say that person changed it you know they've they've become something they weren't when the position changed and they have to change in the way they approach you you know so do you help with that dynamic as well Doug, you bring up a really good point that changes do have to be made when roles are are different. And we do help with that because you want to still maintain that friendliness, even though maybe you can't be at the same level of friendship. And maybe you can. It really depends on the uniqueness of that relationship and of the department, the other staff members, but really establishing that I now have this responsibility. You know, it's not just this power, this authority that now I'm, you know, lording over you. It's I now have this responsibility. And I often tell people who are uh, supervisors, managers, directors, the people who report to you, they are in your care. You are responsible for a great deal of that person's uh, happiness, stress level, even their relationships at home and of course their livelihood so that is a responsibility that's not to be taken lightly and sometimes it's difficult for people to navigate like oh but she and I were such good friends before and now I have to you know tell her to maybe not be late she's going to be upset with me that that's some of those tricky situations that need to be addressed in a way that's polite professional you know you're still being friendly 
And yet you're now in this new role that everyone needs to adjust to and see. And I think whenever we deploy uh, empathy, emotional intelligence, open, direct, polite, professional communication, that can really minimize some of the downfalls of that. Gotcha. You know, something you mentioned too, Eric, I'm sorry. Do you have something you want to say though? I was going to say, uh, Suzanne brings up a really good point because what I've seen in uh, many organizations and agencies over the years is that the lack of communication is what really, what's really hurting the company these days. And the many uh, difficulties I've, I've also seen is that there's too many chiefs, not enough Indians. People want the boots, but yet they don't want to wear them. I find that the best leaders are the ones who are willing to roll up their sleeves and go alongside their employees when things get really overwhelming. And, you know, I was just talking about this earlier with a client. There, there was some you know, discussion from some historian that one of the reasons Napoleon was as successful with his army as he was is because he was often seen on the battlefield, shoulder to shoulder with, with his men during the toughest times. And so if you want to be the leader, then you have to, you know, get those boots on the ground and be there with them in the tough times and to really help uh, because people are going to be looking at that. And a lot of times leaders can't because they have to do the high level things. And I understand that you don't want to be an overpaid, uh, you know, babysitter, coffee person in the mailroom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh gotcha. yeah. I get you. But, but at the same time, you know, let, let's say that there's a huge project on a very tight deadline. If there's something that that manager can do where it's all hands on deck, that's going to earn a lot of respect and trust and goodwill from the other team members. So then well, when you're asking them to go the extra mile, they will because yeah. they saw you do that. And it may, you know, it could even be in the reverse where you've gone to your employer and said, I've got this situation. I need this Friday off for whatever, you know, and it's, it's legitimate. It's, you know, my, my mom is sick and she lives across the country. I've got to get there, you know, and I've seen that happen where a person is denied time off in that kind of situation. Well, then when it comes around that the employer needs all hands on deck for a particular project, you know, and each some volunteers. Well, who's going to step up and volunteer when you've treated your coworkers like that, right? So, yeah. And the other thing is uh, that I wanted to ask you about was you had mentioned it's more than just talking points. It's more than just you know we can improve relations. We can give more productivity. You have statistical data and evidence that shows that. Yes, I'm really glad that you brought that up because there is so much. And it's been replicated. So as a research nerd, I can tell you that whenever there's any study done and then they reach a conclusion, I really don't give it that much weight unless it could be replicated or proven by another party. And Gallup and there's another group, the McKellen group, and there's Harvard, you know, Business Review. Multiple different organizations have reach the same conclusion in various studies that employees who get to use their energizer slash strength the majority of the time are 
and I don't have the specific percentages with me right now, but they are significantly more productive. They're happier and healthier. And if, if a boss isn't going to care about that just because it's the right thing to do, then look at how it affects the bottom line. Because yeah. if our employees are happier and healthier, they're going to take fewer sick days because stress affects the immune system. They're going to be less likely to look for another job. They're going to be more likely to work harder on a project because they're working in the area that energizes them. And so, like you said, if it's not going to be for altruistic reasons, what impacts the business side, the bottom line, where you can yep. increase productivity and not spend any extra money on it, uh, it, it's, it's a proven fact. In fact, I do remember when I was looking at statistics regarding burnout, how that causes the nation, I think it, it's in the billions with a B yeah. uh, of lost productivity, sick days, turnover rates, um, maybe even some litigation if it's burnout due to a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. So it definitely is in the employer's best interest to look out for their employees. Again, it's the right thing to do as a human, but then it's also good for business. Awesome. Well, on that note, we're going to let you go because I know you're busy. But uh, before we do, want to ask you if people like what they've heard here, if there's an employer that thinks that's what we need, we got to have that. How do they get a hold of you? They can go to my website. It's Agyar professional training.com and that's a gyar a g u i a r and they can also go to our instagram which is a gyar pro training and of course they can always call me at 909-633-1813 i guess they can email me too and that's suzette at a gyar professional training Dot com and that's Suzette S U S E T T E. Excellent. And I think I've put your website up on our resource page at walkandrolllive.com. I'll double check. And if it's not, I'll put it up there. But I'm pretty sure I've put that up there already. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join oh, us here on Walk and Roll Live. Talk to you guys. Always happy to talk to you and Eric. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the good work you're doing in the world. I'm thank just you. So happy you're you. you're doing this podcast. Thank you. Have a great day. You're very welcome. You Everyone. too, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Eric. Bye, Doug. Bye, Suzette. As Walk and Roll Live continues, we're going to have our featured guest, Frank Cannon. Uh, we record these things out of order a lot of times. So at this moment, Eric isn't with us, but I'm sure he'll jump in here any moment. So uh, as we wait for him, we'll just get on with our interview with Mr. Frank Cannon. Long time colleague and friend of mine, more importantly, uh, Frank Cannon. Uh, is it closing in on 40 years we've known each other? Yeah, pretty. Yeah, ever since uh, KNTF. KNTF, yeah. We're, we're radio colleagues, and uh, we've worked in a number of different places together. And uh, he has a great story that uh, I, I want him to share with you today. And as we, uh, as we do with all of our guests, we kind of like to kind of get some context to, you know, your life and, and those kinds of things. And uh, generally start, where are you from? Are you Southern uh, Californian or? Uh, yeah, I was, I was born in Los Angeles. Um, but I grew up between uh, California and Oklahoma. 
Okay. My, my mom and her family are from Oklahoma. My my stepdad is uh, or was from uh, Missouri, and so there was family back and forth. But they love living in California, so like about every other year, we'd move back and forth somewhere to the homestead, a new place. Uh, but uh, yeah, we we did that. Um, I uh, went to school Bald- at Baldwin Park High School. That's where I finished out my career. Did a little time at Mount Sac uh, in Walnut, and um, just uh, you know got into to radio and another career at the same time, and just uh, just worked up until I got here. How, how did that start? How, how did you? Well, were you were you a kid that and were fascinated by radio and and kind of dreamed about? Getting oh, yeah. into radio, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I um, the first thing I remember about it, we were living in Los Angeles, and uh, there was this guy on. I think it was KGFJ or something like that. It was a kind of a soul station that my parents listened to. His name was Hunter Hancock, and I was probably five years old, but they would listen to him, and he entertained me at yeah. that age, you know. And, and I just thought, wow, that's uh, that's great stuff. And then I started listening to other radio stations, and my my fascination came in. So I had no idea about records at the time. Gotcha. But I figured all of the radio stations must be lined up right next to each other in a building, so <laughs> okay. that the could go from here to this one and play a song, and then here to play a song. And uh, so that just kind of fascinated me. Uh, I got a little older and uh, discovered my parents' record collection, which was a lot of fun. Learned a whole bunch of stuff there. And uh, I would be the entertainment for the neighbor kids. Uh, I had my mom and dad's stereo and then my uh, my little, I don't know, flip up r- little red record player. Yeah. And I would... Uh, I would play the songs for the kids outside in the front yard and not knowing how radio worked, I would cue the song up so that when this one ended, I would start that one and the music was continuous, you know? Yeah. So that was, uh, that was the thing I always wanted to do when I was a kid was to uh, be on the radio or be a fireman. And, uh, Fireman thing didn't work out, but the radio thing did. Yeah. So when were you first introduced then to a real radio station where you got to see what it was like, you know, behind the well, scenes? Uh, that was up Mount, Mount San Antonio College. Yeah. Um, they had uh, a station up there on the third floor of one of the buildings, and it was uh, it, it was on the air. It was a massive three and a half watts. Of power powerhouse <laughs> so you could, you could listen in the car if you were in the right spot in the parking lot yeah um, I, interestingly enough i was i was going to school i was going to mount sac and i was taking aviation classes and fire science classes because my goal excuse me was to fly helicopters for the fire department okay um so I had this friend, Jeff, who was uh, next to me, and we were always talking about stuff in the class and aviation and all that other stuff. I went uh, to try out for the L.A. County Fire Department, 
passed every test they had except the, the last physical test, which I it was a time limit thing, but I missed it by one second. And they said, "All right, see you later," uh, and and I got really upset. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this. And I told Jeff that night or later on. I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm really upset. I'm I, I'm quitting this. I'm not gonna do that." And he said, "You know, why don't you?" Let's talk about it. Why don't you come up with me? I do this radio show here. And I went, what? <laughs> and so he took me up there, and and it was uh, it was a whole thing. I mean, you had the mixing board, uh, two turntables, three cart machines, a bank of records. Yeah. And then uh, production studio on the other side with, uh, you know, all the Ampex tapes and everything else. And just, <clears throat> excuse me. And it... Uh, I just got fascinated. And then I found out that a friend of mine that I had gone to high school, his name was Phil Markell, uh, was like the program director there. So I talked to him a little bit, went back and forth, and uh, we ended up uh, putting me on the air. And through the time there, I had almost every job except program director. That was because Phil was, I was production director. I was uh, news director. I worked in personal appearances, uh, music director. I think I said music director. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, if I can jump in real quick, you know, for, for our listeners, back in the day, that wasn't uncommon, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that the way everybody, you know, whether you had uh, some kind of ambition and you saw an opportunity to learn something, you might volunteer for those things right, or, right. you know, cause there never was any extra pay to do those things or right. anything, you know, cause I, I did a lot of that when I was in my beginning of my career in commercial radio and, you know, they didn't have a music director at the station. I was at, so I'm like, can I do that? You know, just, just so I can learn, I could talk to the record reps and do all those things and yeah. Ne- yeah. never meant any more money, but, but that's the way everybody kind of got well-rounded as a broadcaster Oh yeah, and and now that's not the way it is. You know, people come right. in and they do one thing and only one thing their their whole career. Sometimes, and know? what was great about it is that uh, we didn't have any. We had a, had a uh, one of the teachers there was a sponsor. He was the broadcast teacher, whatever you call him. But the station ran itself. We had nobody in there telling us what to do. We all learned from each other. We made our mistakes. We learn how to fix those mistakes you know we, we did everything we did all the stuff that we didn't know we couldn't do yeah and and then some and it, it was just it was such a great time such such a great learning experience uh, so that was that was where it was and then uh, moved into commercial so i've, I've got to ask so you you had these these dreams since you were five and you know did the entertaining of the kids in the yard and all those things at, at no point did you think up until you went to the station at Mount Sac that you would pursue something in radio? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was an impossible dream. Okay. It was something that, in my mind, yeah, all the radio people were, were all good-looking big stars <laughs> yep. with yep. you know, fancy cars and <laughs> I'll, I'll never once do you, that. Once you get in the radio, you know the the, the horrible truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, so, okay. So, so from the the college radio station, you did get into real commercial radio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had uh, made some connections through Phil. He had taken me around to uh, a couple of different places and introduced me to some people that were influential in my life and my, my career. But um, I wanted to get into radio and somebody said, well, there's a station in Long Beach that they, they do rock radio called KNAC. And I had never heard of it. They said, why don't you uh, try out for this? And this was before the, the big metal power KNAC. Oh, okay. Okay. It was all free form then. So I went down there, my program director, and he listened to my tape. And he said, uh, "Our uh, we got a girl on the weekend that's going to come in and do mornings. Can you fill in her spot this week? I went, sure. And um, did a few fill-ins until eventually they uh, they I became the the go-to guy for vacation relief and and uh and weekends so uh that uh that worked out so i did that for a couple of years um i did some production for uh, a guy named jimmy rabbit who was a dj on k-rock sure. and that went out on a year there uh, and went to uh, kntf spent a couple of years there until they switched to some other format yeah so, <laughs> so were you like when you were at KTF, you were, you were part-time. Yeah. Right. And so you had, must've had another career going on. I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, in my younger days, my dad owned an auto body shop. Okay. So I repaired cars. And then, uh, in 1980, I, uh, I got hired by a uh, state farm to be an insurance adjuster. And I spent, uh, 33 years there. Yeah. Until uh, I, uh, till I finally retired from it. So I know, uh, you know, in our conversations over the years, it, it, even though you always had that dream, of, you know, having a full-time job at the radio, you'd love to do that. But right. it's, economically, it was just never really feasible. So, but exactly. we were lucky to have you, you know, and everywhere that I've worked with you, you're, you're kind of, I think, the unicorn that every DJ or every program director looks for is to have a good, solid weekend staff that's that's not leaving anytime soon. Because so yeah. many times, uh, so many times that uh, you know, you get somebody, and, and they're generally uh, maybe not as seasoned that are working your weekend staff you know, shifts, and then they get better, and they go on to pursue a full time job somewhere. So you're constantly trying to look for your staff. But when you get somebody like you, who's, you know, you got to, you know, you got this other career that you're doing and you're doing this for the love of radio, you're good and you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Oh yeah. That's golden. You know, uh, Eric, Eric has just uh, come to the room. So let's, let's bring him in on the conversation. <laughs> Eric, where you been? Hey, Dougie, Frank, sorry about this morning, fellas. No, no, you're you're good. I figured you were. I, I I'm glad to see you because you're not uh, somebody that doesn't return my texts or you know where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be. So I I was a little concerned. So I'm I'm glad to see you. Uh, we're we're learning uh, about Frank's background, uh, uh, and we've gotten to the point where we're kind of learning about uh, it, that he's got a love of radio, working part time. 
got his other career. And, and I want to ask you, Frank, because um, every once in a while you would leave for extended periods of time at the radio station. And, yeah. and, and, and I'd love to hear more about this now that we have some time is you would, if, if there was a, ma- a major hurricane in Florida or something and devastated a whole region, you would be called upon, uh, I'm sure, amongst a team of people to go in and start taking those claims and processing all that and helping people. Yeah. I was a, I was on a special disaster team, so uh, like Hurricane Andrew, I spent three months down in Florida there. Uh, we had the earthquake up in San Francisco oh, yeah. uh, during the World Series. I spent, uh, gosh, off and on probably six months there. Um, and then the Northridge earthquake, that was another probably two months that I spent there. So yeah, there were times I had to, had to take off and, uh, uh, I, I just, I couldn't make the commitment to anything else other than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was, uh, I was not on the air during those times, but yeah. luckily enough, I, I was so happy because when I came back, I was welcomed back, uh, wide open arms so that yeah was, well it, it speaks to what i was talking about you know you know i'm not gonna let you go because you've got another life you know you know you and you're you were too good to to let get away so yeah yeah uh, so yeah. good uh so i'd love to hear that uh you know get to know it even well, many parts of that uh you get to know myself you know along with our listeners but uh you know and it's funny you you mentioned your your friend phil so many people over the years that I've worked with have, have brought up Phil, you know, uh-huh. at different times, just how much he, a mentor he was to so many people in radio, uh, you know, in Southern California from Mount Sac College. Is he still there? Uh, no, uh, Phil he passed retired? away about, uh, uh, let's say about 10 years ago. Oh, man, but that legacy is strong. It lives on in so many people. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. and, and to tell you how good he was, I... Uh, he was on the air one night. I was listening, and he always had somebody with him to pull the records and mm-hmm. put them away and and do all the things. And uh, so I came in to to follow him, and I got there about an hour early. And I walked in, and he was alone. And I said, and there were records and record albums and the covers, everything everywhere. everywhere. I said, "What happened?" Looked like here? one of those disasters you went to. I said, "What happened here?" And he said, "Well, I." Guy didn't show up, so I had to do it myself. And he he knew the record rack, and he knew kind of where the different alphabet was. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we had dividers between them, third A and then B and C. So he would go in there and pull a record of, uh, say, the Beatles, put it on there, and try to find a song he wanted. And if it wasn't there, he'd get another one. And you know he. It, it, and I listened. I had listened to the whole show, and I never knew yeah. that he was up there by himself. So this guy, he was amazing. He, he just he could make it work, and he did our production. And yeah, he was great. He was a great guy. That's one thing that uh, you know you you speak to anybody in the disabled community, and and it, they learn very quickly to adapt. Oh yeah. You know, they, it becomes almost a muscle that you're flexing all the time, and you you become very, very good at it, you know? And, and now I want to get to that part of your, your story. Um, right. and, and again, you know, like I said, I've known Frank for closing in on 40 years and I knew that uh, you had an amputation, but, and I kind of 
helped get you together with some peer support because mm-hmm. it, it it didn't go the way that you would hope it would go. And I just recently learned this story. We just had a chance to sit down at lunch and have the time to go into yeah. that story uh, a little bit more in depth. So um, kind of walk us through that. I mean, you, you, you weren't, you know, fighting a long illness or, you, you know, no. so, so it was kind of unexpected that, to say the least. Uh, yeah, it was really unexpected. Uh, I had, uh, I've been type two diabetic since uh, 40 years ago or something like that. Yeah. And so that was always there. And, and at the time they told me that I went to this doctor and he, he said, you know, you're pre-diabetic. You might want to watch out for that. That was it. Yeah. You know, so I, I just like, okay, put it in the back of my head and, and moved on. We didn't have all the commercials on TV where everybody's got some kind of illness and stacked on top of each other. So I didn't know anything about diabetes. I had no, no recommendations on changing your diet or anything. No, no, no yeah, yeah. absolutely nothing. Um, so I went on with that. And, uh, and over the years, it kind of built up to the point where uh, my, my feet, I don't know what you call it, plantar fasciitis or something like that. It would basically have flat feet. Okay. Wear orthotics. And uh, as I as I told you before, I was doing some housework around the house. Uh, I think Christmas lights or something like that. Yeah. And I stepped off of the ladder wrong. And when I did, I felt the bones inside my foot kind of shift. Yeah. And I was told that my bones were never going to go back to the way they were. Uh, This was before I stepped off the ladder. And they would always move and do things like that. Uh, So anyway, uh, I uh, the, the foot started to swell up a little bit and started to turn and it just wasn't right. So I called the doctor and uh, went in to have it checked out. And he says, okay, yeah, you got, you got some issues here. I'm going to send you over to the emergency room and they're going to take care of that. All right, good. Uh, so I go over to the ER and uh, doctors come in, they consult and this and that. And they said, okay, uh, we're going to uh, perform the amputation tomorrow morning at six o'clock, six o'clock. I would, amputation what are you talking about he said well your foot it needs to come off it's uh it's starting to get infected you've got uh sepsis and all this other you know different things yeah <laughs> and um it, it just like it, it blew me away i had no clue that this was even supposed to happen so i yeah. called the first doctor back and he said well yeah i thought uh, that might happen but uh you know that's so that's- he didn't prep you no for the possibility <laughs> at all no, wow. uh, it was just go over there and, and uh, they'll uh, take care of you. Um, so the next morning I uh, I had the amputation and it, uh, it was probably one of the worst moments of my life. Sure. Just because, you know, you, uh, you take for granted that you're going to get up and walk on two feet. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so that was it. Now there's, there's more to that story, which we'll get to in a minute, but, yeah. Prior to this, um, my wife, Christy, had was working 
And I had retired. And when I retired from work, uh, my, my money job, yeah, I was exhausted. And I spent probably a week in bed just, you know, relaxing and getting myself back up to shape and, and going on. Well, she was getting tired and worn out. And then she retired probably about uh, four or five, six months after I did. And she came home and she went to bed. And she said, I'm just so tired. I don't know what to do. I said, well, you know, this happened. This was me. Don't worry about it. But it kept going on and on and on. So finally, she went to the doctor. And he did a blood test on her. And he called her in. And he said, you know, you've got a serious problem. I'm putting you in touch with a blood doctor. And I don't remember the exact sequence. But basically what happened was they found out she had this uh, disease called aplastic anemia. And in short, it's where your body stops producing red blood cells and the white blood cells just start eating what's there until there's nothing left. You know, organs start to fail and, and basically you die. And the uh, death, uh, death rate for that is pretty high. It's not an easy one to recover from. So I tried a couple of different things, different uh, uh, medicines that they in uh, infuse in her to try to get her to build up. And strangely enough, one was, was rabbit's blood. The other was horse's blood. <laughs> and I, I don't know how it works, but yeah. those, those are put in. Well, these things didn't work. There were a number of things that, that just didn't work. So they said, okay, we're going to have to do a bone marrow transplant. Um, so th the problem was that you have to have, there's like, when you're going to do something like a bone marrow transplant, there's got to be 10 markers. There are 10 markers that should be met, um, in order to do it from one person to another. The, I think there are a couple that are like, maybe you can get by without them, but anyway, um, so they, they put in this uh, request to this place called Be The Match. It's a great organization, and that's what they do is they find matches for people that need transplants. <clears throat> and uh, at one point, some lady uh, who said she would volunteer for it, they uh, called her and said, okay, we need you now. And she went, mm, no, I don't think so. So, you know, we were just kind of like, Def, deflated there we thought man this this isn't good because she was getting weaker and weaker and weaker and they had shot her up with all kinds of uh, chemicals chemotherapy and stuff like that and she had lost her hair losing weight had no muscle mass couldn't even hardly walk well couldn't walk yeah so when this um, person when this person begged off you you probably had already gone through family and friends and oh yeah everything that you yeah good absolutely right? yeah. and her sister's had two sisters that are both from the same parents and they weren't, uh, they weren't matches. Couldn't do it. Uh, the children, the kids went in, couldn't do it. Uh, friends, a bunch of her friends went in and couldn't do it. So be the match went back to working on trying to find another one. And then they, uh, the people came in one day and they said, we, um, we got a match. It's a perfect match perfect match 10 out of 10 and um 
We said it's uh, all we can't tell you who it is because of privacy issues, but they are giving you the bone marrow and it'll be here tomorrow. And it's like, holy smoke. Um, so they took it from this, this person and they got on an emergency flight from, well, it turned out to be Germany to the United States uh, here to uh, uh, Cedar sinai and uh, man, when they they walked in with that bag of, of marrow, it was just like gold, you yeah. know. It was an answer to a prayer. And we found through a little bit that we that we knew she was twenty seven, we knew she was from Germany, and we knew that she had never been pregnant because if you've been pregnant, you can't. You're out. Yeah, you're out. So those were the three things we knew. Uh, so they infused her. They got the transplant. And it kept going up and down, up and down. And uh, there were there were moments, times where she would just like go completely out of it. And they'd have to do a lot of work to get her going. And, and we almost lost her a couple of times. It was, uh, it was quite a struggle. Sure. So, but long story short, she started to get better. We got in touch with the lady that, gave us a transplant. Uh, her name is Aline uh, in Germany. And since then, she has come to visit us a couple of times. We've gone to Germany to visit them. Uh, we were part of her wedding there. Uh, and she is just part of the family now. Sure, yeah. And, and just yeah. a complete stranger on the other side of the world. Yeah. You're a match and you ask and she says yes. Yeah. And yeah. she, sure, her story was so good. She's a very competitive person. Um, she was a world competitor in karate and just amazing. I mean, you ought to see, she's got a room with a wall. It's got nothing but trophies and stuff all over it. Just, it's just amazing. But they told her, and she was training for, in training with a, uh, with her coach for another huge competition and she got the call and she uh, told her coach said, I'm out, got to go. And he was, he was like really upset. And they yeah. told her the transplant, you can't do the karate. You won't be able to be that physical anymore. So she gave up that entire career. So it wasn't like she took a break and went back to it. No. She had to give it up. They had to give it up. Wow. But as soon as they called her and said, we need you. She went in that day, they pulled out the marrow, shipped it over. And it was just, it, it was such an unselfish thing to do. Yeah. It's just amazing. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Eric? I too studied uh, martial arts for uh, eight years because I had a tough time controlling my temper. And what I got of it was uh, courage, uh, discipline, and develop a fighting spirit. And when my eighth year came, I had to, no other choice but to hang on my belt for good because of my arthritis in my right hip joint. But I still practice on my own, you know, just to see if I still got it. Because even after a long time, you know, all that old training never goes away. And since I use a walking stick and my knee started to deteriorate, a shipmate of mine in the Coast Guard Auxiliary that I'm in is teaching me how to do combat and self-defense with my uh, walking stick. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Doug and I were talking about earlier before you joined us. Uh, I know – a couple of handicapped people that are handicapped but are not handicapped 
<laughs> and they do everything that you and I can do walking down the street and, you know, driving the car and cooking and all that other stuff. So it's just like, there's no handicap. Um, so anyway, getting back to this now, Christy is, is getting better and better and better. She still needs care and she's getting better and better. And then I have to go into this uh, for this amputation. And I go into a rehab center for three months. During that time, she is still in the healing process and cannot get around other people. Uh, we couldn't see our grandkids for a year uh, because, you know, kids carry yeah. Yeah. And stuff like everything. Yeah. She was so it was so hard that she or possible that she could catch a disease of some sort that would end up killing her. So we had that hard time where. I was her emotional support through that period of her. And then all of a sudden I needed the emotional support yeah. and she couldn't come and do it. I mean, we talked on the phone several times a day, uh, but you know, it, it's. So you guys were even separated during this time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, okay. I was not separated from her during her recovery until I had the amputation. Ah. Uh. And then I was in the rehab center for three months. Okay. I come to that. Um, so you, you want your support and God bless her. She did what she could. Yeah. We, uh, we talked on the phone every day. Uh, her sisters came by and helped me and stuff, but she couldn't. And, um, so I went through the whole thing and finally they, uh, they sent me home. Uh, after that and still had to come in and do cleaning of the wound and all that other stuff. Um, and, but it, it was funny because when I was in the hospital or the recovery, I got through the first day of, of the shock of what happened. Second day I was still in shock and I, I guess I had some of my organs that were starting to fail, uh, kidney problems and stuff like that. So the doctors were still in and treating that. And But on that third day, I just said, you know, this is it. This is life. I got to get moving. And uh, so I, I, just, I think mentally I started to will myself to get better even though the doctors were all working on me, but yeah. I, I knew I was going to make it physically, mm -hmm. right? Physically you were going yeah. to make it. Yeah, exactly. So now, uh, now mentally, how do you think you were doing at the time? And was there still, you know, some help you needed or? Well, yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I meant. Mentally. I yeah. knew I'm going to, okay. make I'm going to beat this. This is, I'm going to make it work. Gotcha. Uh, and then I went through physical therapy, learning how to walk with crutches and all this other good stuff. And um, so I went home and we had the nurse that would come in and Christy, as weak as she was, she would still get up and make me a sandwich or something, you know, to eat. I had to learn to uh, learn so many different things like getting in and out of bed, going to the bathroom. I had to set up my shower for, uh, you know, with a bench and stuff, thank goodness I had this huge walk-in shower. Uh, so everything was all set. And after about two or three days at home, 
sitting on the couch or sitting in a wheelchair, I just said, I got to do something. So I got up uh, in the wheelchair, went into the kitchen, made myself some lunch, sitting there cooking with, uh, you know, we had some high bar stools and I moved one of those into the kitchen. So I could sit there and cook and, and do stuff. And I started, I started doing normal things, yeah. things that I had always done. And, uh, that, uh, that helped me too with my, uh, mental recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Till eventually I got, uh, um, the prosthetic leg and it took a while, it took a couple of years to really get used to it. Uh, it's been about five or six years now. And I, 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 it's, it's funny. I don't even think about it anymore. Um, people, people have stopped me walking somewhere and they say, you walk like a normal person <laughs> walk. Like you don't have a handicap, like you're not wearing a prosthetic leg. And if I, if I put on long pants, nobody knows. It's just, you know, cause I can't run certain things I can't do anymore, but I can continue my life to walk, to drive, to work around the house, to go shopping, to go on vacation. And, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not held back. And, yeah. and thankfully Christy has gotten so much better too, that, she's she's not held back uh so we, we we with the help of god man we made it through and and both of us came out on the end or other end feeling a lot better yeah so well you know i i think you know you sharing your story will help other people realize that you know you, you just got to get back out there you know when it's appropriate for you some people you know i don't know if you had any professional help for the you know the the mental and uh, emotional part of it, but you know oh, there's really. yeah I, I didn't. Um, I had a couple of your friends that that yeah. connected with me and we talked and uh, Christy kept telling me I should get involved in some sort of support group and stuff and I never did. Yeah. Uh, it was just like I, I'm I'm going to do this. Yeah. Period. And uh, it was like, and, and sadly, I had a, a friend on Facebook that uh told me about her husband and he had just lost his foot uh the same kind of thing and i said you know have him call me or i'll come meet with you i'll sit and talk to you i'll be happy to sit and you know yeah he didn't do it and about three weeks later he died uh because he was just he wasn't up to fighting it yeah he had given up so uh, it was very sad and and i hate to see that happen because you don't have to. I mean, there's a way to work through it one way or another. There's a mm -hmm. way to work. You know, and I've said it so many times, but, you know, I, I had polio when I was a year old, so I grew up with it. So I didn't know any different, you know, and I always tell people that's the real battle, you know, yeah. is the mental part of it. You know, when you come to it later in life, I, I mean, I all the praise in the world, to you know, folks that, go through it later in life and have to overcome that mental and emotional part of it, you know? And, yeah. and, you know, thank God I had some friends and people that I knew in the disabled community that could help you. And, and I, you know, and I got them together with two or three other people that have helped, you know, one gentleman who I've invited on the show, but he's, he's older and reluctant to, to come and chat, but at someday, someday maybe he will. But, 
but he was dealing with an injury and a wound that wouldn't heal for a year or more. And he was just tired of it. So, you know, amputation was an option and he was, he was ready. He was just so frustrated with, you know, dealing with it. And, but his family was just appalled. Why would you even think of that? You know? So, so I got them together uh, with some people that had gone through it and that, that helped him. That helped his family be at peace with it, that this is what he wanted to do. And, you know, that, you know, and I don't know what their entire discussion was or exactly what their reservations were, but afterward, afterwards they supported him and, and he's as happy as could be, you know, he wish he had yeah. done it earlier almost, you know, but, and that's happened a couple of times. And I know we talked about it too, that, you know, it, that uh, you're willing to, to do some of that peer support. And I, yeah. I know some people right now that are, in, depending on how their medical care goes and rehabilitation that they, they might be facing that depending on which way it goes. And you've, you know, you've agreed to talk with them if necessary. Sure. You Absolutely. Know. Yeah. So that'll be very helpful. It's a struggle. It's yeah. not easy right. It, it definitely is. And, you know, it, it's interesting uh, listening to you chat too, because um, <laughs> I'm now that I've started this podcast, you know, and I'm listening to some other podcasts on the same topic. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm still kind of forming my my thoughts and it's ever changing. But there is a what, what I kind of call a much more I, I hate to use the word, but it, it's there. And maybe there's a better word, but but a militant faction of the disabled community. And and, and, and that probably is the right word. But what I mean is that they are totally into the identification of being disabled, you know, and how, you know, how do you identify, do you identify, you know, they want to know how, you know, you identify and well, I identify as Doug, you know, I I don't, I don't put any other labels. I mean, the, the many things that I am, you know, I don't say I'm Doug. I like to do woodwork. You know, I, I, you know, I don't, and, and, and there's just slivers of who I am up and down the, the, the identity path there, but I, and I don't. So, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, as I'm listening to different people and their stories about their disability, however they came to them, if it's been long-term chronic illness, you know, injuries, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to kind of, listen to all these stories and and i'm not saying any of that is wrong you know let me say that right now it's just that that's not the way i've done it you know and if anything i'm reevaluating my stance and thinking well you know should i be more like that and you know yeah. because it of course is in this in the context of today it's talked about as inclusivity and equity and and all those other kind of buzzwords are now, now all of a sudden, just because of some disease I got 60 some years ago, yeah. now all of a sudden I have to identify a certain way when I never have, just because that's what's in vogue right now for this little part of time, you know, in four or five years, we'll be on to something else. Like we yeah. were never came up four or five years ago. I don't know. Will it, will it not? I don't know, but. Well, you I kind kind of feel the same way um i don't i don't identify as handicapped i don't feel handicapped yeah um 
you know, certain things I can't do anymore. Like I said, I can't run. I can't, I don't know, can't ride a bicycle, but I don't, I don't look at what I have right now as being handicapped, slightly inconvenienced at times, but that's, that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm the same way, Frank. Uh, like I know it's starting to hurt a lot of the times and it may be difficult, but I always think to myself, you know, no matter how much it hurts, I can never give up because, you know, I still got a whole, um, uh, um, I'll say, um, I still, I, I mean, I have a, a, a wife to be that needs me because my wife to be is one of the things that keeps me going in life. And life has taught me anything is that no matter who you are or where you come from or what happened to you, in the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is what you choose to be now. Always say yes when life says no. And as they always say, Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. And no matter what you got going on, you never have to face it alone. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and I'm, I thank God for her because she, uh, she helped me a lot. And uh, I just, uh, it, uh, it, it it was a struggle for both of us. Yeah, and we both came out the other end. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the most important thing, you know, for, for you and her, you know, the other identity things, I think when it comes down to individuals, not, is not important. And just, you know, just some of the language you use is blasphemous in the disabled <laughs> community. I mean, handicapped is a word that's fallen out of favor. So just so you know, you know, there are people that would get so upset if you even use that word. Or like I had somebody one time kind of intimate to me, you know, in, in all my years, I never heard this, but in, in, in so many words, she was, she was um, saying that I was passing, you know, like, you know, I mean, you know, the context of passing in the, in the uh, people of color community, then you've got, I was somebody with a disability trying to pass as an able-bodied, <laughs> you know, by not, you know, by, by like trying too hard to do the things that you were talking about earlier, just being, you know, just being a person who, you know, wants to be independent. So I go out and I get a job and, and try to do the best I can at that job and be ambitious and move up and, you know, take care of myself, have a family, have a child, have a grandchild, all those things that everybody wants. But exactly. I never, never thought of it that I was, you know, trying to be an able-bodied person by doing that. I was yeah. somebody with a disability that wants those things like everybody else. And I did what I did, took the paths that I took to achieve those things. So yeah. we got to get off on a tangent there, but I love it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So You're awesome. You're a great inspiration. And, uh, and I appreciate your friendship. Thank you. Me too. And, uh, you know, and people might think, I've known this guy for 40 years and not knowing these sort. Well, I worked during the week. He was weekends. And as friendly as we were, we never got a long period of time to sit. So, you know, now in retirement, we get together for lunch and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm starting to get the backstory and they're like eye opening. You know, I mean, I knew that your wife was going through a struggle, but you know, not until we got together and actually got it to, got to talk. Did I, you know, hear the whole stories or your amputation, oh, man, that just blew me away. I can't even imagine being the person that that happened to you know 
So it was I, what's that again? It, it was eye opening. Yeah. And, yeah. and to see how you came through it is, is awesome too. You know, and that, that, that may not be everybody's story. You know what I mean? It's, you know, you just looked up one day and said, Hey, I gotta, I gotta do this and I'm going to do this where there are other people have, you know, different makeup, uh, you know, and they, and it may be more of a struggle for them and they may need more help. And that's, that's fine too. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we are honored that uh, you took the time to come on and, and uh, share your story with us. I, I, uh, whether you know it or not, if you listen back to this, there's a couple of places where we could hear the emotion in your voice and, you know, rightfully so. And uh, we appreciate how difficult that is to, to tell that story, but uh, great that you came on and, and shared it with us. Thank you. It, yeah, it's life. All right. And, All right. We'll do lunch again soon. All right, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Have Take a good care, day. Frank. See you. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Walk and Roll Live. Thank you for listening so much. Uh, Eric, do you have any events coming up? Well, for me, it's pretty quiet this week. Uh, I'm working on a presentation on autism for the... Uh, as a center of innovation and resource incorporated mm-hmm. um like our previous like our guest we had last week Cynthia, it is my final requirement to become an accessibility uh leader as discussed in, in a previous episode yeah okay well good luck with that stay cool and a couple of things i i wanted to mention this in the open and i i didn't get a chance because uh suzette was coming on but uh i wanted to say um uh, that we've we're, we're being heard around the world. Uh, we have a couple of new countries, I think, but uh, Mexico, Australia, Brazil, United Kingdom, Sweden, Germany, Canada are all listening. So we appreciate that very much. And also, I wanted to share with you that uh, you have the number one show, Eric. Getting to know Eric Aguilar oh. is the most downloaded, downloaded show of all the episodes that we have done. Now, um, Debbie Rojas and her son Joey's story. That's they're coming at your heels, but uh, but you you're hanging on to number one right now. So just wanted to share that with you. All right, and um, also Anthesis is having their BOGO sale at their thrift store in Ontario. Buy one get one free. They got some really nice stuff. And if you're looking for resources pertaining to your disability, once again we have a resource page on our website walkandrolllive.com. And if you don't find what you're looking for there, let us know and we'll. Uh, make sure that we track it down and get it on there for you. So uh, next week, I'm not sure yet. I have a couple of possibilities in mind. So uh, just be just be uh, watching and listening, and uh, we'll we'll be here again next week, next Tuesday. Where can Doug Vincent have a good talk to Tuesday, folks? We will see you next time. 
Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.